Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. We are doing something a little unusual today, uh, which is recording in my home because the studio we normally record in is currently under construction. We're not just recording in my home. We're recording in my bedroom. We're not just recording in my bedroom. All of us, including my producer, are piled onto my bed like we are having a giant slumber party. My dog is also here. It is easily the coziest I have ever been at work, and I wish you could all join us. Uh, I also want to say hello to Lauren O'Neill because she's sitting right next to me in bed and it seems weird to pretend that she's in the other part of the studio. Yeah, we're very, uh, we're like snuggled up right now. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for being so relaxed uh, and (laughs) joining me in my home with my pet and uh, my coworkers. Thank you so much for having me into your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime. Uh, Yeah, I just want this to set the tone. I want you to all feel like you're here in my bedroom with me looking at my dog who recently got a haircut that makes him look like Betty Boop. He's just all eyes and puffy hairstyle. Uh, Before we get started chatting about all the various questions that you guys have brought to me this week, uh, I wanted to bring some of your attentions to a question on the latest round of Ask a Manager, which was just featured in New York Magazine's The Cut. It is from someone whose supervisor wants them to not just be co-workers and colleagues, but best friends who share deep, intimate truths about themselves, who practice group yoga together in the break room during lunch, uh, and who have potluck dinners at each other's houses. And the latest thing that he wants them all to do is go to a sweat lodge together. And this upsets me to the deepest core of my being. Luckily, Ask a Manager is 100% on my side. And she tries to counsel this poor person who just wants to go to work and do their job and get good feedback and get good support and, and you know, do good work and go home. Um, and I think that's all most of us want. And she just like hits this clarion call for people who feel like you can't just be coworkers. You have to be best friends. You can't just be best friends. You have to be soulmates. You can't just work together congenially. You have to go to sweat lodges together, even if it's not a part of your tradition. Uh, and I just want to say, please don't do that. If you're in a managerial position and you have the opportunity to not take your employees to a sweat lodge, go ahead and do that. Um, just feel really free to let them go home at the end of the day and leave them alone. Because when you work with someone, you should not force them to reveal the deepest secrets of their soul. Um, and I feel really strongly about that. I agree. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, I realize that it sounds a little bit hypocritical, given that we're all currently jumbled up on my bed. Um, like the 12 little monkeys. We're not jumping sweating yet. No, we're not sweating. But we might be by the, the end. The temperature is relatively cool. It's it's because we couldn't find a studio at the last minute. And, you know, when this is over, we all get to go home. That's true. But I apologize. And I realize now that I am perhaps uh, part of the problem. Uh, that's That's on me. One thing that I do want to prepare our listeners at home for uh, is that you might occasionally hear a sound that was created by a dog. Sometimes he likes to scratch himself, sometimes he likes to yawn, and sometimes he likes to rub his face all over my freshly washed comforter. There's not a lot I can do about it. He's 12 years old and he does what he wants. Um, So just let that become a part of the Dear Prudence experience for you. And thanks for your patience. 
So on that note, I think I should formally introduce uh, our guest today, which is uh, Lauren O'Neill. That is her name. That's why I said it. Uh, She (laughs) is a friend of mine. She lives in San Francisco. She is a writer. She's written for the Los Angeles Review of Books, for New Inquiry, for Slate. Uh, She's also the senior editor at the online literary magazine Midnight Breakfast and the co-host of a podcast called Sunday School Dropouts, which recently, recently featured me as we talked about the book of ecclesiastes it did um the podcast my podcast is uh me and my boyfriend i'm an ex-christian he's he was raised jewish but uh or rather he's part jewish but was raised without religion and we're reading through the bible one book per week and mallory was on for our ecclesiastes episode and it was great and you should go listen to it awesome uh what do you say we get down to some listener questions i'm ready for it Fantastic. All right. I'll read the first one, which is boundaries after moving in with boyfriend, which I feel like is really helpful for us because you live with your boyfriend and you guys do a podcast together. That's true. So you guys are just enmeshed. Mm -hmm. No boundaries. Fantastic. (laughs) Good. Okay. I'll I'll tell her to move out and you can tell her to start a podcast together. All right. Dear Prudence, I need help navigating boundaries with my boyfriend and his family. I recently moved in with my boyfriend of one year. I adore his family, but they are always around. We're both native, and with that comes very close family ties that involve traditional elements and family roles. However, his family is close to the point of codependency. His mother is the biggest offender, sometimes spending whole days just hanging around because she doesn't like being at home with her husband. My boyfriend thinks nothing of chatting with her for hours at a time. Before I moved in, I could always escape to my place, but now she and his family will often visit all day or plan something for each of our workday evenings and weekends. We see them every day, no joke. Someone is always stopping by to say hello. The dynamic has shifted now that I moved into his home, and it's our place now. I've been mostly independent my whole adult life, leaving home at 18, moved to several different cities by myself, and I highly value my personal space and alone time. I know this contributes to our difference in opinion. I just want time alone or time with just him to do the things we love together. I recently asked my boyfriend if we could kindly and gently ask his family for some boundaries like texting before they drop in and seeing if it's a good time for a visit or waiting for us to answer the door before walking in. I feel like these are normal and healthy things to ask. But after many repeated requests for a solution from my boyfriend, still they kept coming on a daily basis. I asked my boyfriend if we could talk to his family and he teared up. He never cries. So I realized this struck a nerve and now I feel like a horrible person for asking him for this. He's really dug in and said that asking this of his family will alter the dynamic and make them feel unwelcome. He wants a home with an open door policy where anyone is welcome anytime. This family is so close and I don't know what to do. It was a long weekend of fighting and defensive arguments resulting in our not speaking for a whole day. I'm at a loss for something that I thought was a reasonable request, but now seems devastating to my boyfriend, whom I love dearly. Do I just swallow this and realize that a compromise will never happen? Or do I stand my ground? What does this say about my boyfriend that he refuses to help me when I'm so upset? I'm so unhappy spending every waking minute with 10 extra people. It's exhausting. I'm worried this will forever change how my boyfriend sees me if I make him talk to his family, as I can already feel the cold shoulder from him. I'm losing sleep over this. Woo! Woo. That was a long one. I mean, first of all, I am absolutely on your side, letter writer. This sounds like hell. This sounds like my personal version of hell. This would be like this and someone like chewing really loudly in my ear is how Satan would punish me. Okay. Duly, duly noted. <laughs> I I feel a lot of sympathy for the both of them. I don't think this is going to work out. I don't think so either. I, I feel like they're going to break up. They're going to have to. This it It's like 
even if he was on her side and wanted to set these boundaries with his family, it would be really hard to make it stick with all the different family members. And since he's not on her side, I don't know. It'd be like moving an elephant, you know? Yeah, I mean, it feels like... I, I I always want to say like at least have the conversation before you make the decision, right? Like I'm not I'm not going to say she should just end it right now, right? Right. But you know he's made it really clear he wants an open door policy. Yeah, that's and it's his house. Yeah, I think part of the problem is she moved in to be with him. Maybe they didn't have a conversation about is this going to be our place we have together? Are you moving in? Are we going to talk about what we want as a couple, or are we just sort of going to figure out when we run into conflict? Um, you know, moving in after dating for a year, that's not like super, super early, but it's kind of early. And it seems like one of the things she's realizing is they have not just divergent ideas of of what they want their home to be, but completely opposing ideas that are in constant conflict with one another. That come into direct conflict with each other every single day. Yeah. I mean, if just asking him to consider asking his family members to text before they come over made him cry... That says a lot mm-hmm. about maybe the degree that he's willing and able to compromise with you. And I think you should probably have a really honest conversation that's like, hey, ideally for the rest of your life, what does your open door policy look like? Do you envision this for having kids? Like, do you want your parents to come over and like pick up the kids whenever? Do you ever see a time in your life where you want privacy? Do you think it's like reasonable to ask for a couple of days a week or a couple of hours a day where people don't come over? I mean, it seems like. Like, those are all extremely reasonable mm-hmm. boundaries to set. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like like she's trying to set even the, a t- just the tiniest little boundary that's like, hey, could you just uh, knock before you come in? Mm-hmm. And that's like tears. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he's – and again, like, I don't want to put too much on her for, like, not having done this sooner. But this would have been a great conversation to have before you moved in together. Yeah. And not not to make you feel like an idiot. Uh, obviously, like, you're both good people and you're both really hurting. But, like, that's a huge part of your daily life is, like, what's our policy on visitors? And if you already knew, you know, before – like, it sounds like she was over there a lot before and knew, well, his family's over all the time. Like, you should have brought that up before you moved in. Because I think – I think ultimately – you are going to have to move out. I I agree. I mean, I, I also don't want to say like that she made a big mistake in not having this conversation because I think it's kind of one of those things that you don't realize until you're in the middle of it. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, she's just, you have more information now. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want you to feel like you're, you're an idiot who brought this on yourself so much as just you are learning something that you had an idea of before. And now, you know, really completely like this is something that your boyfriend considers crucial to his happiness. Yeah. And I think you should move out and, you know, maybe you guys can continue seeing each other. Although it seems like, I mean, what's the future here? You know, it's like, this is how his family's going to be. Yeah. And forever. it sounds like this is what he wants. Yeah. And it's his house. Uh, and, and I, you know, you can always ask. But if a partner says, no, I don't want to do that, you can't force. Yeah. Um, and I think he's giving you really clear information about the kind of relationship he mm-hmm. wants to have with his family and his partner, like in life. And it does not sound like that's what you want. So I think you guys should break up and you should look for somebody else. I agree. I'm sorry to say that because you both seem like really caring people. But you're so incompatible. I don't know how you would make this work. I guess the only thing that I could think of otherwise would be like, if you sort of had a signal where you're like, okay, I'm going to go in the bedroom and shut the door now, even though people are over. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to take a walk or something. But 
honestly, that would not be enough for me I, I, I as like say, an introverted person. Like, it's great to be able to take space. And I think every couple should have that signal of like, hey, I'm occasionally going to need to go take a walk or be by myself. But this is if your house always has other people yeah. in it, you can never just go down to the living room, make yourself a cup of tea, right. turn on the TV, read a book, look out the window and feel like, ah, it's just the two of us if you need that, you need that. And no amount of like daily walks is going to fill that space. I very much agree. Yeah, I hate to say it because you both seem like good people with just really different ideas of of what family closeness looks like. And I just, I don't see this. I don't see you guys finding a compromise. I'm really sorry. I hope that your next boyfriend is more introverted. (laughs) I I almost said doesn't have a family, but your idea, your idea was better. Your idea was better. Sorry. Yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you. So, boy, in keeping with just, like, disappointing family dynamics, uh, our next letter is a real bummer and a half. Would you like to read it? Sure. Um, My mother has a job nannying a year-old boy, John. He comes over four days of the week and spends nearly the entire day with us. John is great, and we all love him like he's part of our family, albeit during the day. Sometimes my mother will leave him with my brother and me when she needs to attend doctor's appointments or when she needs to go on an outing. However, lately she has been leaving John with us early on in the morning and not returning until hours later or expecting us to be the one primarily caring for him while she sleeps in or is doing whatever. In addition, if she's trying to multitask, she will often leave him be and he will be crying or screaming as he wants her attention or needs something and she'll just keep doing whatever she wants to be doing. My brother and I will jump up and care for him but we've been feeling a tad resentful as we think she should be more responsible and not rely on us as heavily as she has been doing and be more attentive to John. Any discussion on the matter, discussion is in quotes, is met with animosity and an angry, fine, if you don't want to or won't help me, then I don't want to see you anywhere near John. This is not the issue and not what either of us want, and we understand that it's a big and tiring job to care for a little one, but she also signed up for this. My brother and I don't mind watching or caring for John, just the constant... I need you to watch him indefinitely while I do XYZ and go someplace for an undetermined lengthy period of time. Hope you don't have plans. What can we do? Are we just being jerks about this? Uh, Well, one thing I think that we can say with clarity is no, you and your brother are not being jerks about this. Do you want to start? Because I think I need a minute to do some deep breathing. Um, So I'm gathering that the, the letter writer and his or her brother are like still teenagers living at home is that is that what you get it, it certainly sounds like they're living at home uh i hope they are older teenagers i hope this is not like a really precocious 11 year old writing to I us i hope that too but yeah it seems like they're kids who are living at home with their mother yeah it, it always sucks when a child has to be the adult in a situation mm-hmm. you know even if they're a teenager yeah still still sucks yeah um but that's that's what is called for here, unfortunately. So I think there's two issues that are coming up here. One is how can the letter writer and his or her brother set boundaries about when they're willing and able to help out with John? And the other is should this mom even be babysitting this kid? I, another question would be should she be parenting at all you know (laughs) uh, this seems like a person who doesn't like children or being around them or paying attention to their needs and wants yeah but we can't fix that for her unfortunately no um no i i have a lot of sympathy for this letter writer and frankly i think you have a right to be a lot more upset than you currently are i think Mm -hmm. what your mother is doing is 
um, completely not okay, both to John and to you and your brother. I mean, you start out by saying sometimes she leaves him alone when she has to go to doctor's appointments, but then that quickly turns into, or when she needs to go on an outing. It yeah. sounds like <laughs> she leaves the house constantly. Um, it, you know, if he's crying or screaming, she won't get up to pay attention to it. Um, and it, you and your brother are forced to attend to like a child who's being left alone to scream and at a year old, like, Children are not super capable of expressing what they need. Like crying is sort of the main way that they let you know that they need something. Um, Whenever you try to just say like, hey, we would love a little heads up if you're going to leave the house for a few hours, which is a very reasonable request. She kind of throws a little fit and says, Mm -hmm. fine, I guess you don't really want to care for him anyways, which you, again, should not be doing (laughs) uh, because she's getting paid to look after this child. Um, I just I'm so nervous that she leaves the house indefinitely for undetermined periods of time. I I feel like if I were the parents of that child and I had any idea that that was what the nanny was doing, I'm a little confused that someone's letting their nanny alone, taking their one year old son home. But maybe that's just because I don't have children. It seems like an unusual arrangement to begin with. I don't know. I mean, you leave children at child care i mean i guess one year old i don't know i don't have kids either yeah let's go ahead and chalk that up to we don't know maybe yeah. that part's unusual maybe it's not but i i'm so nervous what do you do with kids you just stuff them on a shelf somewhere i don't know who knows put them in a hamster wheel yeah go to town yeah um yeah your mother is doing an incredibly bad job at her job and i i don't want to advise you to take the nuclear option because they don't know what your family's financial situation is. I don't want you to necessarily like torpedo your mother's career. She's not doing anything yet. I mean, she's she's torpedoing her own career. She is. I just feel bad given that these are kids. We don't know how old they are. Like if this is their main source of income, I don't want to say like you should go ahead and sink that. But I'm also just so nervous. Like if she's willing to let the baby sit and cry, if she's leaving you alone, like what if there's an emergency and you don't know what to do? A a part of me wants to tell them that they should contact that one-year-old's family. A part of me wonders that too. Um, I also want to know if the mom is like drinking. That's something that teenagers might not always like her behavior definitely sounds erratic. You know, like if you're a teenager and you haven't drunk before, mm-hmm. like you may not realize if your mom is drinking too much. They didn't mention that, but it I don't know if if she is, that certainly seems like reason to contact the baby's parents. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, there's nothing in the letter that is a smoking gun. Right. Definitely leaving the house at odd hours, erratic behavior, lashing, lashing out, snapping could certainly be like drinking or drug use, but we don't know that. Right. I I just think like you've tried to ask her for really reasonable boundaries, which are like, it's not that I don't want to be helpful, but if you're going to leave the house and leave me alone with the kid you're getting paid to take care of, I'd like to know how long it's going to be for and where you're going to be, which is an incredibly reasonable boundary to ask for. She has met that request with like petulance and childish tantrums, which suggests to me that if you tried to bring it up with her again, she would do more of the same. I wonder, though, if I mean, like, what do you think then is a practical approach short of contacting the kid's parents? Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of what's what's the one thing you try before you call them, I right? Mean, yeah, I feel like maybe in terms of setting boundaries, mm-hmm. I know that, like, for me in my personal life, when I set boundaries, which mm-hmm. I have discovered are magical, um, it really helps me to. Practice what I'm going to say beforehand, like decide on very specific boundaries that I want to set. So, you know, like in this case, it might be 
I'm willing to watch John for up to one hour or mm-hmm. I'm willing to watch John on Mondays or something like that. Right. And just repeat that calmly, no matter what kind of tantrum she throws. Here's my problem with that. Uh-huh. I like that idea. The problem with that is in order to set an effective boundary, you have to be willing to walk away. Mm-hmm. And there's a one-year-old child yes, in this situation. Yeah, and I think right. ultimately that's why I think you have to call that kid's parents. I, I hate to ask you to do that because I I, I don't think your mother's going to respond well to that. And it's definitely the like last option. But here's the deal. If she's letting this one-year-old like scream and cry himself hoarse, like what happens when you're not around? Like, yeah. what does she do when you're not there to pick up her slack? Like, I'm scared for his safety. I'm scared that one of these days, either she'll get so resentful of you when you try to set a boundary that she'll use the baby to try to get back at you. Oh, God. Or that, like, That's, there's- I thing. hadn't thought of that, but now that you pointed out, it seems very likely. I mean, she's willing to treat her own children like this. I, I, I don't trust her to look after a one-year-old. And I have to say, like, there's every likelihood that, let's say, one day her kids are after school late working on a project- she leaves the kid alone for an hour, like a lot could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what ultimately think? that means you have to call and say, uh, I mean, obviously it's going to be embarrassing, it, but like you have to ask yourself how much worse it would be if something happened to the baby. Yeah, which is obviously like a jillion times worse. Which I feel like is is like kind of, that's what you're heading down towards. Like she should not be looking after kids. What do you ever. think about having a conversation with the mom and saying like, hey, it doesn't seem like you want to be doing this. Um have you thought that maybe, you know, if it's financially feasible for us that you should oh, maybe I, quit this job? I hate that we're asking this woman's like teenage, hopefully, children to yeah. like try to have a conversation with their mom. Of, like, know, you don't seem to like kids. Why do you have so many around? <laughs> um, no, and I, obviously, like, there's a lot. Like, I, I wish the mom had more resources. I don't know the financial situation. Right. I wish that she could get, like, career retraining. But ultimately, the most important person in this scenario is the one-year-old because mm-hmm. he can't speak for himself. He can't complain about the way he's being treated. And, and he's, he's not very, being, very vulnerable. He's not being taken care of. And I think that's ultimately, like, you know, as long as you're not putting yourself at risk of, like, being kicked out of your home, um, I think you need to call the parents and just say, I, you need to know the nanny who's looking after your son routinely does not pay attention to him when he screams and cries, leaves him alone with underage people and is gone for hours at a time without telling when she gets back. And like, you need to know that that's what's happening to your child. They just, they deserve to know. Yeah. They deserve to know. Oh, but that's going to be so much fallout. I know. Cause this, this mom is not going to react to that in a mature way. And like you said, I mean, I worry, hopefully it's not a situation where she's going to kick anyone out of the house, but like yeah. judging by the behavior in this letter it doesn't seem completely out of the question right right i i i really want to encourage this letter writer who i think only is realizing the tip of the iceberg of how fucked up the situation is and how inappropriately their mom's behaving i think i would really encourage you you know if you're currently in high school or junior high to speak to a guidance counselor at school if you don't have a guidance counselor like a teacher that you trust a friend of the family like another adult who can be helpful to you in case your mom um reacts badly to this and you need a place to stay or if you need someone to help you figure out how to deal with your mother more constructively like i want you to have as many resources and as much support as possible because like you are clearly in a situation where your parent is not able to parent you effectively and I'm so sorry. So sorry. So sorry anytime a kid has to be the adult in this situation. No, and I just hate that she says, I, sorry, I'm assuming it's a she. It could be It could be a male letter writer. We're feeling a tad resentful. I, I just want I you to know, like, this is not normal. 
most nannies do not do this. Right. Most mothers do not do this. Like what your mother is asking of you is such an abdication of her responsibility as a paid childcare provider. Um, and her refusal to provide you with any details, like I'll be home. You know, it, it's not like it's wrong if you're a nanny to say like, I need to run to the store or I need to go to the doctor. There's like something has come up and my like 16 year old kid can right. look after you for 20 minutes. Work as babysitters all the time. That's but if she's like, it sounds like on a pretty daily basis, like running out of the house, not telling you where she's going, going on an outing and not saying when she's going to be back, like. It's, yeah, it's too much. No. Yeah. Oh, oh, I hope this letter writer writes back. It just even with like some more information, just let us know that you're doing okay. Let yeah. us know if you have like an aunt or an uncle or an older sibling who's maybe out of the house, a friend of the family, a teacher, somebody that you trust that you can talk to. Because I just want you to know like the way your mom is treating you and your brother is so, so not okay. And you both deserve better. And so does this little, little boy. Uh, whose yeah. parents are trusting your mother four days a week to look after their son and she's letting him scream and cry and i'm just sorry i'm also just sorry Woo! all right all right we're let's 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 find something <laughs> a little um i was gonna say lighter but i realized our not next lighter letter at all. is uh it is um a very different kind of dark though it's like a a whole new shade of darkness. It is. It is. It's, it's a new kind of sadness. So that's good. That's good. Why don't you go ahead and uh, read that letter for you us? Let me to read it, please. I had cancer over 20 years ago with a recurrence about 10 years ago. My experience with other people was less than ideal. I had maybe two to three people who were supportive, but each time most people were either angry at me or very critical. I had one good friend tell me that I was the most negative person she ever met. I was discussing my physical symptoms and extreme fatigue because her other friend who had cancer was so positive and wonderful. Within the past several years, a few of my friends have discovered that they have cancer. I attempt to be very supportive of other people, but I don't force myself on anyone. I have a good friend who didn't really seem to want me involved, so I would let her know of my support and leave her be. Last week, another friend announced that she has cancer and has done a good job of rallying the troops and building a support network. On one hand, I admire her for being upfront with her requests for support, because I would be terrified to ask people for support based on my past experiences. But on the other hand, it's bringing up some sad and bad feelings since I never really received support and I'm worried that I'm due for another recurrence and will have to go it alone. Well, I just want to start by saying congratulations on being the most negative person someone has met. That's, <laughs> that's an accomplishment. I mean, that's a really I'm really sorry that she said that to you. But that's I've, been, also like, I've been vying for that title for years. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like, wow, she really like let you know that in everyone she had ever met, you were the most negative and um I'm sorry that's that a, that happened. It's a real to you. accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, no. Sorry, sorry that you've had such a negative experience finding support in your times of need. Um, that's yeah, and first of all, like kudos to you for recognizing that you have really mixed feelings about this. Um, because and, and like also, I'm glad you wrote to us because some part of you is definitely aware. Like, I can't bring my mixed feelings to my friend who has cancer. Right. Um, but I, I, I can only imagine like just that you've had cancer twice and that she is asking for help in a way that you feel like you haven't been able to. Um, and just feeling a sense of I'm happy for her, but also scared for myself. Like, I think I would feel the exact same way if I were in your position. I just want you to know that um, the way that you feel sounds really reasonable. And I'm just sorry. Yes, I think um, all the emotions being described here are super legit yep. and reasonable. Yep. You are not the most negative person who has ever written into this column. So <laughs> please go ahead and, uh, you know, let that friend know that I, I think you're actually 
pretty pretty clear-eyed. Um, so and I think, oh, I mean, this is a situation that screams for therapy. Yes, I, you know, I, I mean, totally agree. You, what you need is emotional support, dealing with your feelings, which therapists are trained to do. Yes. And your friends have not been able to help you. So you need a paid, a paid prof- professional, yes. like someone who is trained, who is making money to do this, whose job it is to provide you with the support, uh, and who you are not overburdening because it is their job. Right. Yeah, I agree. Big proponent of therapy. I think the government should give it to everyone for free. Mandatory therapy. I've been in therapy for years. It rules. Yeah. Uh, maybe not mandatory, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think semi-mandatory. <laughs> um, I think you deserve and are qualified for a therapist more than the average person. And I think that you should look for someone who you connect with and who you feel like is helpful to you and who can help you process these feelings and, and find helpful ways for dealing with them. Because again, um, I think that your friend who's just been diagnosed, it sounds like you're, you get like, she's not doing anything wrong. Um, and she needs the support very, very much. And I want you to be able to be there for her, but also not to do so at the expense of your own well-being. Yeah, so that you're like, hey, good for you, but secretly feeling miserable and then possibly blowing up at her later. Right. That's the thing is like, I think you're, you're totally entitled to feel, you know, bitterness or some level of jealousy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, if you can't genuinely give support, yeah. then like don't do it because a it'll be very painful for you, yep. reasonably so, yep. and b like it's hard to give like it you can't be a good supporter if your heart isn't in it. You'll, yeah, you know you'll just end up hurting her and yourself. Yeah, no, and I just also want to give you credit. You pointed out that you had another friend who had cancer uh, recently, and she made it really clear that she did not want a lot of people like coming and rallying around her and trying to be helpful. And you like read those signals correctly, and you backed off. You didn't try to say no. I have to be helpful in the way that I think I'm supposed to be. Like again, I just want to speak to that friend who told you that you were really negative. I. I think you're really perceptive. Yeah, and it seems like you've used your experiences to inform your decisions about how to be supportive to friends, um, which is like all that a human can be expected to do. You know, that's all anyone can ask of anyone is to learn from their experiences to be kinder to people. Yeah, but I think go to therapy. Go to therapy now. Like, don't think, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. Like, you've got 20 years of resentments towards people who were not able to support you in the way that you wanted. And you feel now like you won't be able to ask for the kind of support you'll want in the future uh, if your cancer ever returns. And those are really, really legitimate concerns. So I think you should find somebody, you know, invest the time and energy it takes into finding a therapist uh, who has some experience with cancer patients, um, somebody that you personally, if not adore, can really uh, open up to and figure out how to process all this so that if your cancer does return, you can do the same thing. And you can say, guys, I really need help right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't ask for that, I think you'll feel very isolated. And I don't want that for you. I also hope very much that your cancer does not come back and you can just process the feelings of the past. Yes. So yeah, therapy. Woo. Therapy. Yep. Get on it. You deserve therapy. it. Yeah. They, like you deserve it. You really do. Please stop giggling, everyone. We are not at a sleepover. This is a professional podcast recording. We are if it's professionals. a professional podcast recording, then why are we all hugging each other in your bed? Son of a gun. All right. We are not actually all hugging each other. I would just like to point out. Um, we that- are all in close bodily contact, however. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough. Enough. <laughs> this woman is writing to us because her boyfriend won't call her by her real name. Dear Prudence. Growing up, I always hated my name. When introducing myself, other kids would often laugh and tell me that my name is actually a dog's name. This problem continued to haunt me as I grew up. After a lot of thinking, I decided to change my name from Fifi to Lisa. Fast forward a few years, and I met my boyfriend. 
As things became more serious, I eventually confided in him that I had changed my name and that my family still refers to me as Fifi. I've asked my family a number of times to call me by my new name, but they refuse. My boyfriend then admitted to me that he's always liked the name Fifi. He even changed my contact name in his phone to Fifi, but never calls me that name. He calls me babe or sweetheart. I told him that I find the name Fifi painful and that I want never to hear it again. And I've asked him to call me Lisa. He objects that everyone who knows me, like my family and old friends, call me Fifi, and he finds it weird to call me Lisa, hence the pet names. Am I wrong to feel so hurt about this? I want to be more than just a pet name to him. Fuck this. <laughs> First of all, fuck this. Second of all, hi, Lisa. Your name is Lisa. It's nice to meet you, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Great name. Lisa. Love it. It's the name of my favorite Simpson child. It, it, I just... Okay, so his arguments that he shouldn't have to call you by the name They're to- not even... They're not arguments. They're yeah. just trash coming out of his mouth. <laughs> It is. It is. Oh, well, other people don't respect your wishes, so is it cool <laughs> if I just hop on board? No. You should distinguish no. yourself with better behavior than my shit family I barely talk to. The Just the act of not calling you by your preferred name, I think that enough is like, I mean, not, that's enough to break up alone. He's not calling you any name. He's calling you babe or sweetheart 100% of the time. How is he talking about you to third parties? Like, my girlfriend, baby? <laughs> oh he creeps me out like names are such a basic essential part of respecting somebody's identity the idea that someone would say hey so my like name i was given as a child bothers me a lot people would make fun of me about it it upsets me so much i had my name changed please call me by this new really standard issue name that he not just won't do that, but like has gone out of his way to put it as your old name yeah. in his phone. Gone out of his way to, even though he like doesn't use the name very often, if at all, goes out of his way to tell you that he's not respecting your wishes. Yeah, no, he's really made it clear like, all right, I won't start a fight by calling you Fifi too often, but I'm not going to call you Lisa. And I want you to be reminded of that every time I say sweetheart, even though it would make a lot more sense to use your goddamn name. And I think that the name thing on its own, I think that's enough to break up. But I also think it's a red flag for the future. Right? Like, what does he stand to lose by calling you Lisa? Nothing. Right. It's not inconvenient. It's not hard to remember. It's not hard to pronounce. I mean, not that that's a good excuse anyways, but like, nothing about it is difficult. All he knows is that the name Lisa makes you feel listened to, respected, and like a regular ass person, and, and that the like, name I'm Fifi makes you feel demeaned and ignored. And he's I like, won't do that. cool, you're Fifi in my phone. And I'm not going to call you jack shit. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Honestly, fuck this guy. You should break up with him. You are not wrong to feel hurt about this. This guy's like creepy as hell. If he's going this far out of his way to make sure that he's like controlling and not respecting your wishes. Like, I just do not think it's, it's only going to escalate from there. No. And I just want you to know, too, like, just because your family as a group is like being an asshole about this, like, you're not wrong to want to stick to your guns. And if you need to say, hey, I just want you to know every time you call me Fifi, it makes me feel hurt, demeaned, disrespected and ignored. And if it's really that important to you, I want you to ask yourself why you want me to feel that way. Like, you are not asking a lot. No. You are not trying to make them jump through hoops. Well, honestly, like, the talk isn't even worth having. Just leave him. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking more about the family. Like, really, if nothing else, let them know, if you continue to call me Fifi, I want you to be aware what you're doing. Like, I don't want there to be any pretense that you just forgot. Like, you need to know it's hurting me, it's disrespectful, and I'm going to consider it, like, an act of aggression. 
that's I mean, that's all true. I think you need to limit your time with your family until they can get on board with your actual goddamn name. I just this is such a like fundamental just sign of respect that like like just do it. I just I can't imagine what's so important about the name Fifi to them when they know that it hurts you. Like it's not their name. It's your name. Mallory is making very angry faces. I just, I, I don't like your boyfriend. I don't think he respects you. I don't think that he's going to treat you well if this is how he handles like a very simple, basic request. And I hope that his registration expires and he gets a lot of parking tickets. I hope he takes the wrong freeway exit and it's a really long time before he can get back on the freeway. I hope that he gets in the drive through line at In-N-Out and then he gets boxed in by the cars behind him and then he realizes he doesn't have his wallet with him and he has to go through every section of the drive through and say, I'm so sorry, I forgot my wallet. I have to just get out <laughs> and he can't order anything. <laughs> that's that's a good one. I'm not going to top that. Great. All right. I guess let's um, let's move on to our, to our last letter. Um, God, the theme of the letters today are just... How do I get rid of bad people in my life who How are do mean I to me? Set boundaries, especially with family. Yeah, and you all deserve boundaries. You are all surrounded by jerks. Boundaries are magical. They fix everything. Well, not everything, but they fix a lot of things. <laughs> Ugh. All right, you go ahead and read this last one. I'm still angry at that last guy. <laughs> okay. I'm a 28 year old woman who has recently moved into my own apartment in a major city after living with my parents for a few years to cope with some mental health issues, including depression and an eating disorder. Now I'm healthy and living in the city of my dreams. I have a good social life and finally feel confident about myself. The trouble is, my mother is now an empty nester and begs me to come home whenever I encounter the slightest problem, struggling at a job, a breakup, etc. My life isn't easy living paycheck to paycheck, but I'm so much happier than when I was living with my parents in the suburbs. How can I get my clingy mother to let me face my problems on my own instead of constantly trying to convince me to come home? I just want to point out, I looked over, Lauren came in with some notes under the questions that she brought with her, and she just wrote under this letter, boundaries, 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 boundaries. Boundaries! I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready in any way. Oh, that was fantastic. Thank you. Please sing your answer. <laughs> uh, no, um, boundaries. They're magical. Uh, I think, again, it's worth um, it's worth repeating that a good way to set boundaries with parents, especially in this sort of a situation where it's not like pathological necessarily right. it's not like, like this abusive is actually kind of a relief after all the other family members we've been getting today like your mom i think it's is like, misguided yeah. and, and you're right to want to set boundaries but at least she's not like upset that you're doing well she's just hyper concerned and wants to baby you yeah and that's and better probably than probably wants to feel useful still probably wants to feel like a mother still like yeah and is feeling like if you're doing this all on your own, then what am I doing? Right. When in reality, this is actually a testament to her parenting. Yes. That you are able to, as a 28-year-old, live independently, uh, you know, find a life that you really enjoy, handle Feel your confident. own problems. That's great. That's That means she did a good job mm-hmm. raising you to be an adult. Um, and you should feel proud of yourself, especially after everything that you've experienced. And You're, she should feel proud of you. Yeah. And I'm sure she does. Yes. But she's just also... Feeling some empty nest feelings. Yes. But uh, that said, you do not have to put up with those empty nest feelings. You do not have to listen to her bring this up every time you mention a problem. Um, And I think you are well within your rights to gently say, I'm really happy living on my own. Um, 
you can you can either wait for it to come up or you can just say, mom, I wanted to say something to you, which is that whenever I share a problem with you, I feel like your response is often to suggest that I move back home. And I just want you to know I love you and dad. I'm so grateful I got to live with you during a hard time in my life. Um, but I don't want to move back home. Yeah. I want to continue living my adult life and having a relationship with you as your adult child and relating in a different way than we did when I was a kid. Um, so I want to ask you just please don't, you know, ask me to move yeah. back home. And I would say practice that and have your specific boundary, like a very concrete thing, you know, whatever it is, like I will visit home twice a year or, mm-hmm. you know, I will talk to you on the phone, you know, three times a week or, you know, whatever your specific boundaries are. Practice saying them so that you can calmly repeat them no matter how she responds. Yep. Yep. And I think, too, this is one of those things. It's unlike some of the other letters where I think even if you ask that and she continues to bring it up, that would not necessarily be a reason to cut off contact with your mom. I don't think that that's something worth doing that for. But you can always just remind yourself Think of it as a verbal tick. So in the future, if she says you could move home, just calmly but really cheerfully say, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Let's talk about something else. If she can't stop bringing it up, you can say, Mom, I'm going to get off the phone because yeah. I've already made it clear to you that I don't want to move home. But I'd love to talk to you again later and hear about how your week is going. I think that's perfect. Like you can end the phone conversation. I think that's like a really effective way to set a boundary where like it's a consequence. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively small consequence for a relatively small violation of boundaries, you know? I I think this is, too, the kind of thing where gentle non-engagement is really Mm -hmm. helpful. Because if you get drawn into an argument every time, you feel like, oh, I need to prove all the ways in which I'm independent, that's not actually going to be helpful. No, it'll just make you upset, and it won't get you what you want. Right, you don't need to prove to your mother that you deserve to live on your own. Um, You can go ahead and say, I love you so much, and I appreciate so much that you want me to be near you, and I just need you to know that it's not actually helpful to offer me the chance to move in when I don't need it. And then if she continues to do it, just go ahead and say, thanks, but I don't want to. She will eventually realize that she's not getting a reaction out of you. She's not getting either a fight or a, God, I wish I could come home, mom. She's just getting, nope, I'm going to go. And she will eventually stop bringing it up. It might take a while. Yeah. I can't promise you this will happen in three months. But if you keep calm and just say, you know, thanks, but I'm happy where I am, it'll eventually work. Yeah. And just keep taking care of yourself. I think the word- And also congratulations on, you know, dealing with depression and eating disorder and and building a great life for yourself. Yep. Yep. And hopefully you won't be living paycheck to paycheck forever and you'll be able to save some money so that you won't feel- I think maybe part of what feels stressful is if your parent is constantly offering to let you move home and you are living paycheck to paycheck, you feel like, I'm okay right now, but what if two months from now some big expense comes up and I have to take her up on this, but I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just hope that you're able to start saving- Um, And making more money in such a way that you won't feel like, God, that specter's right around the corner. I mean, that's what that's what we all want. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We all want to be able to not lose our homes, I think. Or like have a surgery if we need it. Yes. I hope that no calamities occur to you. Um, But I, I feel I feel good about this letter writer and I feel good about her parent in a way I didn't feel about the last few. Yes. There's no malice here. It sounds like it doesn't sound like your mom is trying to be like a consciously manipulative person she's just scared and uh insecure and she doesn't know how to manage Express those feelings. her love in a way that doesn't yeah uh, reveal those insecurities totally totally so th- i'm actually really glad that this is our last letter <laughs> yeah this one is solvable like this one this one's gonna be fine i feel bad today i was like uh break up with your boyfriend <laughs> stop uh. talking to your family break up with your boyfriend oh um i hope some of you out there are able to keep dating your boyfriends <laughs> 
I mean, you know, probably like probably most of you should dump your boyfriends. I don't know, man. I I I, I get a lot of letters. <laughs> I, I want to be able to give a different answer. And I just think I don't think this is going to work out. And I'm real sorry. But there are worse things than going through a breakup. Like going through cancer and all your friends say you're the most negative person ever. Yeah, that's really rough. I'm really sorry that that happened. Oh, man. Um, I just want to point out, by the way, to all our readers listening at home, that my grandmother is currently in the other room. She came up to stay with me this week because we're going to the opera together, and I'm kicking myself for not bringing her in as a guest um, a guest answerer. So I, I promise you people now that one of these days I'm going to get her back up to the Bay Area, and we're going to get her in the studio, and she's going to give you advice. I've been acquainted with her for about 15 minutes. She seems very wise. She's fantastic. She's a great lady. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. For coming me. to my house, for sitting on my bed and talking about boundaries I with strangers. I feel like our friendship has reached a new physically intimate level. It really has at that. <laughs> and so I think we should just cut it off right here. We just stop the show entirely permanently. Reestablish our boundaries with each other. Yep, yep, and, yep. Uh, and wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, Lauren. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. The uh, last thing that I want to share with everyone at home is uh, some fictional advice uh, that my former business partner and current best friend, uh, Nicole Cliff, has given Claire from the book and TV series Outlander, which, Lauren, I know I just said goodbye to you, but you're still here on the bed. So, like, feel free to jump in if you've uh, never seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, it's <laughs> Bye been, again. I... I I read one of the books. I haven't seen the show, but I love it because Nicole and I both have a lot of advice to give fictional time travelers, one of which is always keep your head down, right? Because whenever someone unexpectedly travels through time on TV or in a movie, they're always like, who are you? What year is this? What's going on? And giving themselves a, like immediately everyone's like, well, you're acting bananas and I don't trust you. So you always end up getting captured or like put in a, an institution or like kept under lock and key. And so the first thing you need to do if you think you've traveled through time is just act really receptive. Just say things like, I agree. And yes, I also believe in the king. Um, like don't don't make waves. But what if what if you're transported back in time uh, to a time where you don't speak the language? That never comes up. Oh, okay. I need you to stop asking that question okay because that's just something i personally worry about a lot no on tv it's always a time and place where you the individual who is traveling through time somehow fits in both in terms of like appearance ethnicity dialect accent whatever, the, whatever. the only thing that's ever a problem is that you show up wearing strange clothes and someone will always say like yawn strange garb and that's it <laughs> all you need to do is find a cloak and everyone's like you look like you're from the 1700s the other thing i worry about if i get unexpectedly transported backward in time is do you think it's safe to drink the water oh god no no you'll get dysentery you'll get dysentery immediately um but the the, the specific advice that nicole wanted to give to claire okay i don't oh, want to yeah, get sorry. off track uh, sorry. was that I, I guess at some point on the show, she gets thrown back forward into time to the time she disappeared from originally, okay, which was the 40s. And she meets her husband. And it's been like two years. She's been gone a really long time. She fell in love with somebody else. But like, none of that was his fault. Right? Like, and she she sees him and she's just like, oh, like incredibly inert. And Nicole just felt very strongly. Look, that man is your husband. It is not his fault that you traveled through time. Like, at least muster a hug and an affectionate smile. And I agree with that because, like, that man has suffered. He thought you were dead for the last two years. He's really upset. And even if you do want to leave him to go back in time to your your time husband, 
you should at least give him the joy of like of a, a half-assed reunion. Don't be like, ugh, the 1700s are so much better than my stupid marriage to you. Like, give give the man a hug, you know? Show a little effort. So I guess my twin pieces of advice are if you do get thrown into a time that is not our own, try to blend in. And then if you do unexpectedly get thrown back and you're no longer in love with your current partner, uh, go through the motions at least for a day so that they can experience something approximating happiness for 24 hours. Also boil the water before you drink it. Definitely boil the water. But don't do it so ostentatiously that people think you're a witch, right? Like, good point. Good point. Don't talk too much about vaccines or whatever. Like, you don't want to die. That's going to be really hard for me. Well, I just, like, blend in. Play it cool. Like, read the context cues and, and, and see what happens. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show and want other people to find it, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help other listeners find this podcast and stops them from wandering around in the desert wasteland that is, I guess, others' podcasts? No, other podcasts are great too, but I really want them to find this one. Anyhow, all of that means more questions and more advice. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. I'd love to answer your question. Call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to 30 seconds or a minute and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com.